Father, thank you for your word that you've given us. I ask you, God, that, that we would understand it and that it would take root and take heart. I thank you for it, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There were a couple of motivations for the, for the word this week. Uh, the first one was, uh, there's a story in Scripture, you're probably familiar with it. It's the story of Mary and Martha. Y'all know the story of Mary and Martha? Martha's the one who's doing all the work, and Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And, and, uh, and what happens in that story, it's a little brief little portion of the Bible. What happens in that story is Martha says, Lord, tell her to do something. And the Lord says, Martha, Mary's doing exactly what she needs to be doing. And that's, that's basically the end of the story. And so what you, can, what you get from that is, is a couple of things. The first thing is this. Um, there's always the Martha moment where you've got to be doing. But the, 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 the lesson is you can't have a Martha moment until you've had the Mary moment. You know, when you, when you start thinking about Mary, what Mary did was Mary was at the feet of Jesus. He was at the feet of Jesus. To understand that fully, you've got to understand that in Scripture, uh, when, when people were at the feet of somebody, it was usually a rabbi. It was teacher, teacher. I'm going to sit at your feet. I'm going to learn from you. You're going to teach me. Paul said that about his mentor before he got saved. You know, he said, I, I, I'm, the, I'm the Jew of all Jews. I mean, I had the best teacher that I sat at his feet. And so there's this, it's this a lesson of this posture of being taught before you go do. And that's really the lesson. It wasn't that Martha was sinning. It's that she wasn't doing the right thing at the right time. Last week, Brandon taught on placing our hope and being anchored in our hope in Jesus. You, you remember that? How many were here for that last week? I, I, I wasn't here, so I don't know. So, so last week he taught on that, and I kind of want to springboard on that because he told you a story, if you remember. He said, he said we were playing golf, and we were out there, and he was talking about his testimony, and he was saying that, you know, I want to I know what, the, you know, what job I need to get, what the will of God for my life is. And, and he accused me of being uh, harsh, and saying something crazy like, if I hear that one more time, I'm going to vomit. I do not deny that. <laughs> I just want you to know that if Liz would have said it, it wouldn't have seemed so harsh. It's just harsh because I'm big. I'm convinced. No. Um, let me just give, I want to give you the, the, the reason for that. And, and I think, I th you know, there's so much faith in this room. And we're coming from such a great place. But the Lord has really, he's been ministering to me this week about this. And that is doing the right thing at the right time. And the reason that I, that I think that, it's not because I don't think God is concerned with details. I think he is very, very, very much concerned with details. I think he loves the small stuff. Matter of fact, I think you have no greater fan than the Lord Jesus himself. I think, I think Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and he's constantly talking to the Father about you. He's saying great things. He wants you to be su successful. But have you ever, how many have still have kids right now? Raise your hand if you've got kids. How many have grandkids? Raise your hand. Keep your hands up if you've got kids. Grandkids. All right, we're up. How many people know people with kids? Raise your hand. Okay, that's all of us. All right, good. 
Have you ever seen a kid play baseball or do some kind of activity, and they had no earthly idea what they're doing? I love to watch little kids play soccer. You ever watch that? They, 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 it's a ball. You know, there's a ball in the middle, and all of them do this. <laughs> it's just so funny to watch them do it. You ever watch them play baseball? They, they hit the ball, and they hit it, and they get so excited about hitting it, they just stand there, and they're jumping up and down. I hit it. They look to their mama and go, Mama, I hit it. And mama's going, run, run, run. You ever seen that? Or they, they just keep running. You know, the guy's got the ball at first base, and they just run right by first. You know. It's like, stop, stop, stop. They don't do the right thing. And, and that, that thought is the cause of my comment. It's because I see so oftentimes we come to a place and, and, and we believe those songs and we're stating them up here. And I'm so proud of this church for, for believing them and have great faith. We have great faith. But there is a, there is a tendency for us to expect the blessings of God and the promises of God without actually doing what it takes to, to receive them. We don't, we don't respond rightly to God. And, and, and what I see people do is I see people, they, they want the will of God very badly, but they want God to speak to them directly. In other words, like this, this is what I mean. God, I, you know, I need a job. I need a wife. I need a husband. I, you know, I, I need you to pay my car payment. I, I need this. I need, you know, whatever it might be. They're praying that thing. They're praying that thing, but they never have read the Word of God. They've been a Christian for five years, but they've never read the Bible. They, 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 there's not a practice, there's not a, they don't have a prayer life. When you start talking to the Christian about, well, what's your prayer life like? Well, you know, it could be better. It could be better. Well, you know, we pray in church. You know, and you go, ugh, ugh. Because the two just don't, they don't link. They don't go together. Um, you can't just read the Word. You actually have to have to do it too because oftentimes, you know, people are crying and say, God, why won't you speak to me? God, why won't you tell me what to do? God, won't you do this or do that? And God says to all of us, I already said it. I already gave you the answer. I've already spoke it. It's right here in John chapter 4. See, Matthew 6 is in... Daniel 6 or whatever it might be, I've already spoken that word. you you got to go get it. And so it distresses pastors when sheep want blessings and promise without actually knowing and doing the word of God. Does that make sense? Now, that's without condemnation. That is just... A, a pastor who really wants to see your success. And so if I look at that, I, I, wanna, I want to remember what the message was last week, and that was being anchored in our hope. And so this week's title is Putting Your Hope in Christ and Hope Guides You. Um, we're going to see an example in Daniel chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles, you can open to Daniel chapter 6. We're going to see that. We're going to see this example, but it comes from a place of this. God says this. He says, I know the plans I have for you. Say that with me. 
I know the plans I have for you. Now, the key element of that verse is God knows the plans, not you. He says, I know the plans for you. I got them. And they're plans to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you could ask or think. I mean, these are really good plans for you. Come to me. All who are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come to me. Knock and the doors open. Seek and you will. In direct proportion to your pursuit of me, I will be found. Right? And so, so there's this whole thing that we see uh, in Scripture that, that is required to what we got. Here's another one. Here's another thing we need to kind of tie in with this, and that is this. Seek ye first the kingdom and its principles, and everything else will be added. You know, you're, you're, you're after the way God thinks. You're after kingdom stuff. Where's that found? That's found in Scripture. How do you do that? You, you have to communicate with God to actually move it 18 inches, Mike, from your head to your heart. You know, you can get it in your head. You can read Scripture all day long. But in, uh, until you start communicating with God of how He wants to transform who you are, it doesn't move to your heart. And all you are then is religious, angry Christian. Instead of being a gentle peacemaker, a loving, gentle peacemaker. And so, and so there's, this, there's this understanding of, of first I got to sing the kingdom. Here's another one. If, if, if I begin to give you stuff, I'll give it to you with a little. And if you're, if you're mature, if you begin to process, if you begin to take what I'm giving you and apply it to what you're doing, then I will give you more, a lot. In, in direct proportion to how you respond to what I'm dealing with you individually, not as a corporate group necessarily, although it includes that, but as an individual, as I'm giving that to you and how you respond to that releases what's next. You with me? And so Jesus, Jesus is working with his disciples. All this stuff is kind of, I'm just tying all this scripture together. None of this is in my note. This is all free, by the way. This is all free. Jesus, he's training his disciples, and they go out, and they're casting out demons. Come on. They're healing the sick, and then they run across this thing that doesn't budge. And, and they come back to Jesus and say, Jesus, why was this not subject, subject to us? Why was this not, was not submitted to us? And Jesus says, this one right here takes fasting and prayer. And then Jesus immediately prayed, and the thing was gone. Here's the point. Here's the point. Life is going to be hard. Life is going to be a struggle. Life is going to throw you all kinds of curves. Stuff is coming. It's coming because there's a, there's a, there's a wolf, there's a thief that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. There's a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? There, it can happen in the church. It happens everywhere. But uh, he's looking 
for who he may devour. Who can he devour? He only can devour the ones who aren't grounded in the hope of the word of God and what Jesus Christ did at the cross. That's who he devours. He devours the ones who don't know. It's a lack of knowledge that causes you to perish. It's, it's, this, un, it's this unwillingness, I guess, to, 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 to get into God's Word. And so, and so Jesus didn't, this is what I'm pointing out, Jesus didn't have to go, ah. man, I didn't see that one coming. This one takes fasting and prayer, and I'm, I'm totally unprepared. You're tracking with me, aren't you? That when the thing got there, Christ was ready. And, and, you, and you see, there, there's so many things that God wants to do in and through you that is so amazing, so amazing, that you need to prepare ahead of time for. You, you need to be ready for that thing. Thing. When God opens up his glory to you, you need to be ready to walk in it. You don't need to be trying to go, oh, that's a possibility. Oh, God wants to. And it's good to be excited about, but you don't you want to be ready? Yeah. I want to be ready. And that's the story of Daniel. What, what we see in this, in this book, in, in Daniel, is we see, we see a guy that's ready. We we see a guy that's already when he 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 he's a <laughs> he's a he's a Israelite. He's a he's a believer. It, uh, he he understands God. He understands the gospel. He is he is taken captive. In other words, he's a prisoner of war. He's a POW. He's taken captive. And what uh, Nebuchadnezzar has done with Daniel is says, "Hey, give me your." Your brightest and your smartest and, and the ones, the young men with the most potential. And what we want to do is we want to, we're going to change your name and we're going to change the way they think. We're going to, we're going to bring them into our culture and our way of thinking. We want to train them up. And, and so that's where you find Daniel. And, and so Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and, and Daniel is walking with the Lord. Daniel's in captivity, but he's walking with God. It's a beautiful thing. You're going to see it here in just a moment. He is prospering in the midst of slavery and in captivity as a POW. And he gets, he gets a vision from God, and he is able to immediately, when asked upon, when called upon, to interpret the dream. And he's ready to interpret the dream when he's asked, because he's prepared. He's been with his God. He has this practice. We know he has this, this daily practice of doing what Mary did, and that is to be at the feet of Jesus. He, he constantly was at the feet of Jesus. So let's read this story. This is a different story, and, I, and I'm going to put it in today's terms, and it's going to be kind of fun as I do it, but I want you to see really what's going on. And so, so we have a different king. We have King Darius, and, and he, um, he, he has him in, uh, in captivity, and there's a, there's a group of government officials who want to force Daniel into their way of thinking. And so they, they trick the king. They see that Daniel has this habit of praying all the time and pursuing God. 
And so they say, hey, we're going we're gonna to catch Daniel. And we're going we're gonna to get the king to make a decree that you can pray to nobody but the king for 30 days. And so let's read this, and I'll put it in today's terminology as we go. So when Daniel knew that the House of Representatives had come up with, a, with an amendment to the Constitution, and that amendment had gone to the president and been signed, he went to his house where he, had work, where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day, and he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Now, there is a, a pattern of doing that Daniel is, is, is telling as, as this story is written. And it is written so that you and I would understand that this is the kind of thing that it takes to make it through the kind of thing that Daniel is about to face. And you see that Daniel is not concerned about hurting somebody's feelings about his prayer life or who he depends on. He goes to the window, he opens the window, and he openly petitions his God before everybody. And he does it three times a day. So he is putting himself in the position of Mary three times a day. You know, here's, here's the challenge for me as a, as a pastor. The Lord's challenging me only. Can you run a church, pastor, without spending many times in prayer? Can you make decisions? I don't care whether they're business decisions. I don't care what kind of decisions you need to be making without sitting at the feet of Jesus, petitioning him for the solutions to what's about to come. Are you prepared in your heart, pastor, for the things that the enemy is going to throw you away in the future? Are you prepared, child of God, person of God, for what, what's coming your way? Or are you there? Are you meeting with the Father like Mary did? Are you petitioning Him? Are you learning from Him? Are you getting instruction from Him for your doing every day as you go? And so Daniel is doing what he had always done. So then these men came by agreement and concerning the injunction, and, and they said, O king, did you not sign an injunction, a, a, an amendment, that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. And then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, Judah actually means praise, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction or the amendment that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Without fear, Daniel was praying. And then the king, when he heard these, these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. I love this. I love the fact that, that the king saw the good in Daniel. I, I, I love the fact that it distressed the king when he heard about Daniel. 
So then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought. Where was I? Then these men came by agreement to the king and said, O king, the Medes and the Persians, no injunction. Yeah, I read that. Okay, verse 16. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God whom you serve deliver you. The king is praying for Daniel. May the God you serve continually. How does he serve God? Say it again. Yeah. Deliver you. And a stone was brought, and it was laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace, and he spent the night fasting. With no distractions, no diversions were brought to him. And he did not sleep. Sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose, and he went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angels and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I love that he honored the king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwelt in all the earth. Let me say that one more time. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, all the nations, and all the languages that dwelt in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. Enduring forever, his kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers, he rescues, he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of these lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Wait. Wait a minute. We're talking about a slave. We're talking about a POW. We're talking about one who was manipulated by his enemies. We're talking about one who was forced into trying to deny his God. It says he prospered. He prospered. 
How did he prosper? Because the angel of the Lord was with him. God protected him. The presence of God was with him. And so when you look at Daniel, there's the, the thing that, that, that I want to tell you today is that God knows the plan he has for you. And he wants you to understand that his plan for you is exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask or think. It's bigger than you can dream. It's bigger than you can dream. Dream big because his dream for you is big. But it only comes with participation from you. He's not going to just hand it to you on a silver platter. Let me ask you a question. Are all the promises of God for Christians, are they yes and amen? Yes. Have you seen them all? No. Ephesians says, every spiritual gift in heavenly places is yours. Have you seen them all? No, you have not. There is a pathway of progression that is totally dependent on your relationship with the Holy Spirit that releases kingdom things to you as you go. As you are in relationship with Him. In other words, God is not just going to pour all His blessing out on you because when you were 13, you acknowledged Him at the altar of a church. They are given to you as you pursue Him in an intimate relationship. It goes back to what David told his son Solomon. He says, I want you to, to grow in your intimate relationship with your God. So let me give you some quick, really quick <laughs> principles, five common traits of, of people that God loves to use. Five. The people that God uses live a life of devotion. They're devoted to God. They are zealous in prayer. They are zealous in fasting, and they are zealous to study the Word of God. I told my son, he's he, y'all know that he just got married. He's got a new wife and a new baby that's on the way. And, and I, was, I was telling him uh, the other day, he was asking me for wisdom, and I said, son, I said, I'd love to give you wisdom, but the truth of the matter is, if you don't know the Word of God, son, my, my wisdom's not worth much. And the truth of the matter is, I can't know the Word of God for you. You have to know the Word of God yourself. You have to teach your wife the Word of God. Your wife has to know the Word of God. And then you have to respond to it. And when you do, you will make your way prosperous. And so there's, a, there, 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 there's an independent, totally personal pursuit of God and His Word. And if you don't know the Word, you, you don't know your God. It's just true. And you can't expect the promises or the gifts of God to manifest itself or the blessings of God to manifest themselves like He wants them to until you begin to pursue that relationship personally. And so you've got to 
Be zealous. He loves zealousness. Number two, they recognize that God is in the details. God, God really loves the details as you pursue him. And he's got his own time frame. Don't expect him to move on yours. But you, what you have to realize is that every detail of your life, God wants good. He wants good. But he, he, he only brings good with himself, with his word, with his way. He, he wants you to ask him and depend upon him. Put your hope in Christ, and that hope guides you. Number three, those kind of people, their life is not without struggle. What we think about the kind of people that God uses, their life is, you know, it's easy. You know, you know if you're a Christian and all the blessings of God come, you never struggle. That's just not true because people that follow God, that are blessed by God, understand that life is not without struggle, but they also understand that God is with them and will never leave them and will never forsake them. And as long as God goes with them, they're prospering because He always wins. He's always victorious. And it's always good. He uses what the devil uses for evil, God uses for he always does it. The fourth thing is they are willing to make a hard decision to follow God's way. You see, so many people who fear what other people think about their relationship with God. And it was very obvious to me that Daniel really could care less what somebody else thought about their Christianism. And today, the truth is that Christians are not looked upon with great respect. It's interesting how quick that's changed in our culture. It used to be in my dad's generation that Christians were looked upon with great respect, but today they're, they're looked upon with disdain. And it's only going to get worse. <laughs> I, was, I was reading a, a quote. I couldn't believe it. It was by Charles Spurgeon. Anybody know who Charles Spurgeon is? I mean, he's an old one. I mean, like real old. I looked at Charles Spurgeon's picture. His beard is like down here. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And then I, then I, then I looked at um, uh, uh, Jonathan Edwards, and his beard was like down here like this, you know. And then I, you know, I just kept looking at all these fathers of the faith, and their beards, their beards were down here like this. And I was like, that's me, baby. I'm going for it right there. I guess. But Charles Spurgeon said this. He says, in the end times, the church is going to be, uh, the preachers in the church are going to be a bunch of clowns, and they're going to be preaching to a bunch of goats. That was a that was 100 years ago. <laughs> he said, he said, he said that the church is going to have a bunch of Clowns for preachers, preaching to a bunch of goats. Yes. That's interesting, isn't it? So, so, so as we recognize that we've got to be, make the hard decision to follow God's way, we can't live in fear. Number five, they are willing to risk their lives but not waste them. Daniel was willing to risk his life but not waste it. So, when we start thinking about traits that God uses, 
He also wants us to live life putting our hope in Jesus, knowing and following his word and will with the attitude that we know that his word will never fail. That's what you have with belief. What, what worry and anxiousness and fear really is, is unbelief. We're really actually taking responsibility as God when we worry and fear about something. Because God said about us, there's enough to worry about today. Don't worry about tomorrow. There's, you got challenges today. Come to me and I will teach you. I will be with you. I will walk with you. I've got the solution for you. And it's to prosper you and not to harm you. But it's only for today. It's just for today. Come see me. Come Meet with me. And so God is looking for people who will believe his word and that his word will never fail. His purpose is uh, redemption. It, everything God does has a redeeming effect. It redeems something. His purpose has a revealing effect. He wants to show us who he is. His purpose has a correcting effect. He wants us to walk in righteousness. He, he usually works progressively and not immediately. Because he wants us to be in relationship with him. He has a purpose of redemption, but that redemption process requires partnership with him. In knowing his word, actually doing it, and depending on him to speak to us by his spirit through his word. Yeah? And so... And so I'll just ask in our, in our busy world, and we're talking about this a lot now. We're talking about this a lot. In our busy world, you know, are you Mary or Martha? Do you, do you, you know, Mary, Mary was doing a good thing, but do, do you try to do good things without ever being Mary? Being Mary is coming to the Lord, you know, sitting at his feet. Or, and, and you got to, you got to say, Jesus said, said, you know, I'm the bread of life. I am the bread of life. But there's only enough for today. Why was the manna given? The manna was given, and he said, don't, don't store up that manna. I'm only going to give you enough for the day. You see, we do church, and I'm glad we do, aren't you? But Oftentimes, what we do is we let that carry us for the rest of the week. That was my acknowledge God day. And God says, no, 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 no. He says, I, I, I want to show you. I, I want you to understand. I want you to live in abundance. I, I want you to prosper. How you do that is learning to depend on me. So, so you understand why I told Brandon, just pursue Jesus because he knows the plans. If God is for you, who can be against you? Fear not, I've overcome the world. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Lord, Give us this day our daily bread. There's a dependency on Jesus that's required.
for us to, to walk in the prosperity that he wants us to. It's not legalism at all. It's relationship. Because just knowing the word without doing it just makes you an angry, legal Christian. What God is looking for is somebody that they can show the nations hope. Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 says, Come to me, all you who labor. Let me say that one more time. Let me put it a different way. Come to me, all you who are trying to do life without me. You're burdened heavily. I'll give you rest. Matthew 6, 31 and 33 says, Therefore don't be anxious, saying, What will we eat today? What will we drink? Or what will we be, how will we be clothed? But seek first God's kingdom and his right way of thinking. And all these things will be given to you as well. Hebrews 12, 1. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Colossians 3.1, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated on the right hand of God. A.W. Tozier said this. He was a, he was a, a, a preacher at the turn of the the. 19th, uh, in the 1900s, he said, a there's a whole new generation of Christians that has come up believing that it's possible to accept Christ without forsaking the world. He also said, it is quite impossible to worship God without loving Him. And so there's this loving relationship that God wants with every believer. He wants us to be in his word. He wants us to know it. He wants us to write it on our hearts, put it in our minds, because that's what he uses. He says, he, you know, he, he just says, follow me today. Follow me today. And then you, you get on your knees in the, in the morning and say, Lord, I, I, you know, you've heard me say it before. I hadn't said it in a long time, so I'll say it today. And I'm closing, Christine, if you're in here. There she is. I've heard, you know, when you put your feet down, most people, most people get up and they go to the restroom first thing in the morning, half asleep, right? When your feet hit the floor, you say this, good morning, Lord. Say that with me. Good morning, Lord. I'm going to tell you, that little thing right there changed your life. Good morning, Lord. Good morning, Lord. I don't want to do today without you, God. What it'll do is it'll, it'll make you begin to prioritize him like you should. There's a lot of people in here that are probably reading the Bible more than they ever have in their life. And I, and I want to commend you. I want to say, great job. <laughs> 
you find yourself in a, in a good place with that. But I tell you, I, I don't know how many times I've read the Bible. But when I open it up and I really get in it on, on, a, on a, like, a, like he asks me to, truth is <laughs> everything that comes out of me is different you get in the word the way God wants you to be in the word you can't be the same and it takes no effort that effort is is just prioritizing his voice in your life and say God I don't want do the day without you. This is not an intellectual exercise. I know, I know people who know the word great. I mean really great. They mean. Mean people. You know people like that? Just mean people. Angry. Mad at the world. Because this relationship with it's allowing the Word of God to transform your heart and your life. And it's a desperation and a fervor like Daniel had that, Lord, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to be courageous. And I'm going to stand up in this culture, in this society, and I'm going to stand on your Word. And I'm going to be determined that I'm going to know it. I don't care if nobody else around me knows it. I'm going to know it. I'm going to get in it. And I'm not going to make excuses because I know it has the ability to change everything about me. Can we stand? I think this is three weeks in a row I said I wasn't going to teach on the Word of God anymore. I'm not going to say that again. <laughs> Anybody got a feeling that it might be on the heart of God that, that He's, I mean, what if they take it away? You got enough of it in your heart that you don't need it on the written page anymore? Corey Timboom said this, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. Let me say that one more time. This is so good. I mean, she was old when I was like two. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at God, you'll be at rest. No matter what you face, no matter what trial that you face, the 
walking with Jesus, it's going to give you peace. You're going to prosper even in the fire, even in the lion's den. But you got to know his word and you got to know his way. Father, in Jesus' name. This preacher stands before you in front of these, and these people. Knowing that without your word, God, he is a totally different creature. It's your spirit and your word in that relationship with you combined that allows us to bear the fruit that we were intended to bear when you died on the cross. When you filled us with your Holy Spirit, God, you want us to be transformed. And Father, I'm afraid that I get distracted. Anybody else get distracted in the room right now? <laughs> I'm afraid I get distracted, God. And I'm not like Daniel. I don't know that I have a sense of urgency that three times a day I need to be Mary before I'm Martha. I know that Martha was doing a good thing, God. But you can't do Martha but without doing Mary. If you do, it's not right. It even can be the right thing at the wrong time. So Jesus, I'm so thrilled that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I'm so thrilled, God, that your mercies are new every day. I'm so thrilled, God, that you don't require perfection for your blessing. I'm so thrilled, God, that your arms are open wide at all times, saying, if you seek me, you'll find me. If you knock, the door will be open. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you peace. I'll give you vision. I'll give you creative solutions. I'll redeem. Because that's what I do. I'm the Redeemer who liveth. So, Father, we thank you for your word. May we not take it for granted. Lord, I, as a man, want to value your word the way you desire me to. I want to please you with my pursuit, with my zeal. You say that the fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes a lot. I want to walk in that authority. I thank you for teaching us today, God. I thank you, God, that we are right with you. We are the righteousness of Christ Jesus. As he is, so are we in this world. 
So today, God, is just a little tweak, just a reprioritizing, just an adjustment so that our value system is your value system. I thank you for doing that to me, and I thank you to, for doing that for those who hear you. I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen.